So before we step into this familiar story for some of us of Zacchaeus and Jesus, Zacchaeus being this tax collector that nobody really liked, but everybody had to answer to, and how Jesus responded to him, I first wanted to share perhaps to, again, some of us maybe, another familiar and beloved story, the story of Ted Lasso. Now, some of us know this uh, very well. Some of us may be introduced to it for the first time. So we'll try to be aware and cognizant of both. Um, Interestingly, the origin of Ted Lasso, how he kind of came to be, um, was based on a character that actor uh, Jason Sudeikis first portrayed in a series of uh, promotional clips back in 2013 when uh, NBC Sports started covering England's um, football or soccer uh, Premier League. Um, again, this was over 10 years ago. So you fast forward several years, and we start to see that this character is taking off um, and, and gaining awareness and, and interaction, so much so that he gets his own uh, series in 2020. So the series' basic concept is this idea of this um, soccer coach coming from the Midwest into England uh, to coach. Of course, they don't call it soccer in England. It's called football. Um, And this is part of what he's having to learn. He knows nothing about uh, football rules uh, overseas, so a lot of it he has to learn by himself. But in the midst of that, even more importantly, he's learning how to live amongst the people who are his new community. And not too long after he starts interacting with folks, he puts up a sign right above his office, a sign that says, believe. What is Coach Lasso asking his people to believe in? Because part of his coaching early on is noticing that he is living amongst and he is coaching people who are hurt, hurt, um, people who feel defeated, um, and people who are carrying all of this with them all the time, not just on the field, but more importantly, just in life, in the things that they are doing. People who are draw, uh, trying their best but are failing or at least feeling like they are failures and being told by others that this is who they are whether it's the press, whether it's the fans, um, whether it's ex-spouses. So one of the individuals that Ted finds himself um, being in ministry with, so to speak, uh, more and more is the owner of this team, a woman by the name of Rebecca. Now, Rebecca owns this football team, and she has, we find out, secretly hired Ted because she hopes that he will fail and fail miserably. And thus ruining this football team that she has inherited from her ex-husband. Because she believes that if this team fails, it will be a major blow to him. And she wants him to feel the pain that he has put upon her. Now, Ted gets a chance to eventually meet this ex-husband. And not only does he see how he treats Rebecca, he gets a little bit of a taste of it himself. So Ted decides as a response to challenge him to a friendly game of darts. Uh, how about this? If you win, I'll let you pick the starting lineup of the last two games of the season. But if I win, you can't go anywhere near the owner's box, at least not while Rebecca's still in charge. You're on. Okay. Uh, double in, double out. Whatever you say, Rupert Deuce. Yeah. Just let me know if I'm winning or losing, all right? <laughs> oh, I forgot I had these on me. Oh, oh, wait a second. Hmm. Man, what do I need to win? Two triple twenties and a bullseye. 
<laughs> Good luck. You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out. So they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. We may be asking the question, uh, what does any of this have to do with Jesus and Zacchaeus? Not too long ago, our children's ministry and Kids Praise team put on a show called What's Up, Zach? It was in our sanctuary. Really beautiful story. And one of the things that I took away from that and kind of seeing Zacchaeus in a new way was um, Zacchaeus in many ways, to me anyway, is a lot like Scrooge, if you think about it. He's this person who is very rich, um, has a lot of means, a lot of resources. Nobody likes him. And he's alone. And I didn't really notice that. I didn't, hadn't really thought about that in terms of Zacchaeus until um, the character who played Zacchaeus really showed what it was like to be kind of an outsider in the midst of this entire community. This person is rich and grouchy, um, but inwardly is hurting. Because they feel alone. And what we know from either general or probably even personal experience is that hurt people hurt people. Scrooge and Zacchaeus are no different. But Jesus sees something more. Jesus sees all that. But Jesus sees something more and deeper. And Jesus approaches Zacchaeus with curiosity, not with judgment. And he sees Zacchaeus up in that tree when nobody else does. And he immediately zones in on Zacchaeus. And he invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. And let's walk together. Let me go into your home. Let me step into your sanctuary and let me eat your food. In Jewish customs and traditions, this is incredibly blasphemous. You do not step foot or eat food of who you consider to be your enemy. Except Jesus doesn't see Zacchaeus as an enemy. 
he sees Zacchaeus as someone who, like everybody else, has been hurt and is in need of love and restoration. And so Jesus invites himself into the midst of that. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. Jesus intrudes. And I've heard sometimes from folks in the church, and I have done this as well, kind of thinking in terms of reaching out, of getting involved. Well, you know, I don't want to intrude in that person. I don't want to, I don't want to just, you know, step in. I need to wait for the right time, the right opportunity. But in this story, Jesus doesn't wait. He doesn't do any of that. He just simply goes to Zacchaeus' house. And of course, there's all these people standing on the outside looking in and judging. Not asking questions, but making judgments, saying of Zacchaeus, he is a sinner. Jesus is in the house of a sinner. But Jesus doesn't listen to them. He listens to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who then says, I'm going to take everything that I've been given, all this money that I have amassed, and I'm going to start giving it away. I'm going to start giving it to other people. I'm going to start making changes. I'm going to start helping And Jesus' response is, today. Today, salvation has come to this house because he too, he, Zacchaeus, the one that everybody hates, the one that everybody despises, who has written off, he who everyone else has made judgments about, he too is a son of Abraham. And he too is worthy. For the Son of Man, Jesus says, came to seek out and to save the lost. So we do want to have healthy boundaries. We do want to be polite. We do want to make sure that we are not overstepping. But the the, the, the messiness of ministry sometimes is that when we say, well, I, I don't want to intrude, what the other person is saying, though, in one way or another is, I want you to intrude. I need you to intrude. I need the Holy Spirit to not wait to be invited. I need God in my life now. We need Jesus's intrusion. We need Jesus's curiosity to remind us that we are worth being intruded upon. We are worth Someone caring for us enough to knock down those walls, to knock down those boundaries and borders. That nothing will stop Jesus from coming to us and being with us in our time of need and reminding us that we are worthy to be loved. Because when we are reminded of that, we also receive this call from Christ to go out and to remind others. Very recently, we had a team of youth and adults who went to Costa Rica to uh, be in ministry with the kids and, and community, to be a part of their VBS that was going on, and helping out in some other ways. And as they come back, have come back, we've invited some of them to come and share their stories. And so I want to invite Mr. Evelyn Coppolo, who was a part of that group, to share with us uh, some of his experience of where he was, who he was with, and how it impacted him. Good morning. My name is Evan, and I was in Costa Rica, like Andy just said. We were doing... Uh, VBS in San Ramon, which is about an hour or two from San Jose, which is the capital. And 
Over there, it, it, there's a lot of poverty over there. There's a lot more than I expected, which was a huge culture shock for me. And um, while, while we were in Costa Rica, everything was, like, cool and all. But on Thursday, which was our last day doing the VBS, was when um, I really looked and saw how much uh, we were, our volunteering was affecting the people that we were helping as when we were tr- when we had to leave they did not want us to leave they didn't want to walk away i guess or they didn't want us to walk away which was very hard um sorry i'm very unprepared for this i kind of forgot about it till this morning <laughs> yep um so yeah but um Overall, the trip really motivated me and my buddy Will, who's in the in the sound booth, and we actually sponsored a kid over there in Costa Rica, and who's who's our age, and in the same situation as the kids that we were helping, which was very sad. So hopefully things can get better over there for them with the help of Pure Vida Missions. And yeah, that that's the end. That's what all I got to say. Evan, thank you so much. And part of what I love about that is how it is that you and Will are continuing the story uh, to continue to be in ministry with who you met over there. So how do we look at those who we perceive to be other? And what can we do so that that word other disappears? That it's not about one or the other, but that it is about us. How do we even look at our enemies this way? How may we look at those that for whatever reason, whether it's been a personal encounter or just kind of what we have been taught over the years, that we can look at people um, not as enemies, but first and foremost as individuals created in God's image. How would we have looked at Zacchaeus? Would we have looked at him with curiosity or with judgment? A couple of other characters in Ted Lasso's world are uh, players Roy Kent and Jamie Tart. <clears throat> now, if you know anything about Roy, um, you could probably agree that it's really hard to find a clip of Roy that is church appropriate. So I had to find one where he basically didn't talk at all. Um, but there's a really important one where he does something much more powerful than talking. So Roy is the guy with the beard on the one side. The guy on the other side is Jamie Tart. Um, these guys are pretty much opposites, at least in season one on the team. Roy is a very seasoned um, player. Um, he feels as though he has kind of past his prime, that everyone sees him that way, that everyone sees him as the old guy, the washout. And um, this is kind of how he acts around others. Jamie Tart, on the other hand, is kind of the new kid, the celebrity. Um, uh, football seems to come really, really easy to him. There seems to be no mistakes that he can make, and he seems to have no problems, and seems to be, in Roy's eyes anyway, very, very arrogant about how everything has been handed to him. But then something happens. After the team experiences a loss, Jamie's father shows up in their locker room. 
and we get a glimpse of how Jamie has been treated by his dad over the years growing up, which allows Roy to see Jamie, to truly see him, and to not just see him and be curious, but to see him and connect. Oh, and there he is, my son, my own flesh and blood. <laughs> Poor Jamie, my son. Oh, woo! You absolutely baldy. <laughs> You're baldy. What were you thinking? Oh, I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding, eh? <laughs> Don't speak to me like that. Don't speak to me like that. Don't speak to me like that. Okay, well, let's see if you can hear this. Hmm. You know that equal TV show you made? It just made it easier for Manchester City to kick you to the curb. Look where you are now. Twaddling about with a bunch of amateurs. No offence, no offence. <laughs> huh? Have you got a dog big time? Hey, let's have it, Jamie. Don't you forget where you came from. Watch the door. Oops. When we allow ourselves to be curious rather than judgmental, something opens up. A new way of seeing. A new way of seeing others. And a new way of seeing ourselves. And then bonds can be restored or even made for the first time. And so when we're curious, when we see opportunities of inviting others into our lives... And allowing others to invite us into their lives, not in an unhealthy way, but in ways that say, oftentimes without words, you are worth not waiting for. Now, it's important that we understand the meaning of that, because a lot of times we'll say, well, this is worth waiting for. But what people sometimes need to be reminded is their pain, their identity is worth not waiting until God shows up. Meaning you are worth not waiting until you make the first move. Jesus did not wait for Zacchaeus to make the first move. If Jesus had waited for Zacchaeus to make the first move, he would have still been up in that tree. But Zacchaeus was curious himself. And there was something about Jesus that made him want to get a better look. To climb up in that tree, noticing that people may see him and wonder, hey, what is this guy doing? He shouldn't have anything to do with Jesus. But the other thing was, the crowd didn't notice him because they were curious enough themselves. They wanted to see Jesus. So see what curiosity can do instead of judgment. See what can be opened up with curiosity rather than the judgment that can shut things down. What could the world be?
be open to if we were more curious and less judgmental. If we asked questions and gave less judgments. How would the church look to those who have felt judged and rejected because of who they are? One of the questions for us might be, do we believe that curiosity works? Do we, le- do we believe that asking questions rather than giving judgments can lead us to a new path and a new future? Do we believe all persons are worth spotting them in their trees and not waiting until the first perfect moment, but just saying, come down, come down and let's have a meal together. Jesus doesn't say to us, you know what, come to the table when you have everything figured out. Come to the table when you've made amends. Come to the table when you've made past your mistakes, you've cleaned everything up. Then then you can come. Jesus says, no, come down now, right now. And I'm going to come to you. And we're going to do this together. Jesus does that in the spirit of curiosity, not judgment, and calls us to do the same because Jesus is going to say to us, I'm not going to wait until you're ready because we're hurting now and we need to know that the love of God is with us now. Jesus intrudes because we are worth being intruded upon. And so as we go, may we do so in a spirit of curiosity, not judgment. And when we see the need that we respond, there are different ways that we can do that. But at the very basic level, we take this open communion table out to the world to say, you don't need to wait until you're ready. God is here now. Let us take the table out into the world. And may we do so in peace. Amen.